What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the first ever episode of the RBI podcast. My name is Richie. I'll be your host of this show. And just to get started, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the show. So uh, basically, it's going to be a baseball show. I apologize for the paint cans and the doors and all that stuff. But, you know, start something, you know, I have loved baseball my whole life and I love to talk. So I figured this would be a great idea. So, you know, just off season now, I figured a good time to get started and work through some things. And I really hope you enjoy it. And it's about myself. The RBI podcast the idea came from Richie's Baseball Index. So RBI, you get the idea. Um, this podcast is basically it's all things baseball. If you're a big baseball fan, it's every team, every news you hear, all that stuff. It's it's basically what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and just try to prop it up as what if it's more than something. It's all baseball. If you love baseball, this is the place to come. Uh, it's going to come out every Wednesday at 7 a.m. I figure, you know, morning commute. Here's a quick half hour, 40 minutes for your day. And we'll have bigger plans for like when the season starts for like how often this is going to come out. But for now, once a week, 7 a.m. on Wednesdays and let's get started. So I wasn't going to start with this just because it's not that big of a news like compared to the other things, but Hunter Renfro trade. Um, good move, my opinion, for the Angels. I think that Hunter Renfro is a power hitter. We know that. Like last year, he hit 259 with an 816 OPS, 29 homers, 62 RBIs. And if you look at the Angels roster, I saw someone complain today on Twitter saying, why are we trading our prospects when we don't have any mid-level prospects? Well, if you're going to trade Shohei Otani, good chance you're getting five, six, maybe even seven prospects back. So you'll fill that void that way. But the problem with the Angels in the last couple of years has been they haven't had much major league talent like obviously you have trout you have otani last year taylor ward jared walsh had a down year you have all these guys rendon's been hurt but besides like the star players you don't have any mid-level guys any depth pieces and hunter renfro is kind of the middle of that he's not like a depth guy but he's not a star he's a starter he's gonna play right field he's not the greatest right fielder but you know he's probably a league average fielder maybe a little bit less but he's also 99th percentile in arm strength which is a big deal when you're going to be playing right field. I read a report today that Renfro is going to play right. Taylor Ward is going to play left. Uh, so I also found this interesting that outside of Trout, Otan, and Otani, the team had a 5.9 war total. To put that into perspective, Hunter Renfro had a 2.5 war. So getting him is one-third of that, and he's one player. When in reality... Your players, like obviously, you're gonna have your six, seven win players, but your your mid level guys should at least be two win players, one and a half win players. They can't be half a win players. You're never gonna win games. It's frankly, why the Angels have been bad for so long. So, Aaron Judge, we know what's going on with him. We saw his little wink. He's in San Francisco, and just I'm not gonna spend too much time on Aaron Judge because the writing's on the wall for him. Uh, Giants, Yankees maybe Mets, maybe Red Sox, probably not. I think that the big thing with Aaron Judge is more of a Yankee standpoint rather than him. Wherever he goes, he's going to make an impact. He's going to be the best player on their team most likely. And I think as a Yankees fan, I would sit there and go, okay, if we don't get Aaron Judge back, what are we doing? Like, Because they've said they don't want to get a star shortstop, but you want to lose Aaron Judge. Gleyber Torres might get traded. When it comes to a position player standpoint, Giancarlo Stanton can't be your best hitter if you want to win 100 games again. 
they were a good rotation. They got Garrett Cole, they got Severino, they got Nestor Cortez, Jamison Tyler's a free agent. Like they have these guys that are there. Frankie Montas is coming back, I believe. So I know he had a down year, but I expect him to bounce back. And then just like from the Giants standpoint, it makes too much sense because they kind of lacked that star. Like Jock Peterson's a good player. Brandon Crawford is solid, but he you can't expect him to do what he did in 2021, again in 2022, especially as he gets older. Buster Posey retired. That hurt a lot. Um, like Logan Webb's a good pitcher. Like they're gonna lose Rodon. So they need that that three hitter, like for old school terms, that three hitter, that anchor in their lineup. I know Judge batted second a lot at first, but you catch my drift. Um when it comes to the Yankees, I'm gonna get into shortstops in a little bit, but Judge has to be your main priority. You can't and I think he's gonna go back to the Yankees. I don't think any team's gonna going to outbid him for him, but at the same time, you can't you can't bank on that at the same time. You gotta you gotta realize that he's now an open market guy. He can do whatever he wants, and he hasn't been that like he hasn't been like, oh, I'm coming back or oh, I'm not coming back. He's been very all over the place. Yeah, just to, with Judge, it's just it's very up in the air with him. And I think as a Yankee fan, I'd be a little uneasy. It's a little different than the Grom who we're gonna get into because of who the Yankees have on the roster compared to the Mets. If I were to take a guess, I would say Judge is back with the Yankees. That would probably be my prediction, but I'm not entirely sold on that. But it just it seems like he's too good not to sign. If you're gonna overpay for a guy, it's him. And you'd hope the Yankees would think the same way. The pitching market this year is somewhat interesting to me because, like, you see Degrom, Verlander, Carlos Rodon, Kodai Senga. You see those guys, and so Senga's not as big as a name because he wasn't in the major leagues last year. But it's weird because Degrom, Verlander, you think like top of the line guys, and yes, they are. But at the same time, they're in their what, like, mid to late thirties. Verlander's forty. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of deals they get. I think, I think Verlander, like, is an interesting case because he had Tommy John surgery, but we've seen the way Tommy John has gone. The success rate has gotten a lot better, and it showed last year. He had a one seven something like that, one eight ERA, and I think that because of that, teams would be a little less concerned about his injury history, history. Besides that, because he did just win Cy Young, he did just win a World Series, and his deal isn't going to be for five years. It's going to be one or two years, and why not take the risk? If it fails, he's off your team in the next year or the year. Like, give him like a one in an opt-out or one mutual. Like they, they, they design deals that way on purpose to have these types of like, like safety blankets. As for DeGrom, um, it's a little more – uh difficult because he is he's five years younger he's coming off a shoulder injury he didn't pitch as well as like his 2021 season 2020 2019 but still as dominant as they come and i think that his injury history is a little bit more concerning because he's younger he's going to be commanding a bigger deal and i think because of that it's going to be a little tougher and not as robust of a market like we've seen the Mets are involved. The Rangers are involved. But besides that, we've seen the Braves kind of teeter off. The Yankees requested medicals, but besides that, nothing really. And if it's only two teams, I read a report that if the deals are similar, he's going to pick the Mets. And it makes sense. Comfortability. You're getting paid the same amount anyway. Might as well go where you're comfortable. Unless, you know, he wants to live in warm weather and tax-free state. But that's not, that's not up to me. 
for Degrom though, I think it also comes to the idea that the Mets know him better than anyone. They know his history. They know all these things that have happened, like his shoulders, elbow, whatever. Like it was like not a UCL tear, but it was like it was a confusing twenty twenty one season, despite having a one oh eight ERA and twelve starts. And for me, my prediction is that he goes back to the Mets and Verlander goes back to the Astros. I know it's not like the sexy thing to say or it's not the fun thing to say, but it's the truth. I don't think I don't I don't see them leaving just because of familiarity at such a uh, old age and old since they're 35 and 40. Like they're still young, but you know what I mean. And they've gotten paid. Like like DeGrom's gonna cash in, so no matter where he goes. Verlander's gotten paid, so now it's just it's about it's about winning for Verlander, and it's probably about money for Degrom, and the team that's going to pay him the most is going to be the Mets. Now they talk about the years with Degrom. I wouldn't be hesitant to give him that fourth year, just because I think that you know him as a player, you know him, and he's thirty five. I would say it again, he's thirty five years old, but at the same time, he there's a, a doctor that said that his injury isn't like a concern for more injuries, if that makes sense. Like his shoulder injury isn't going to be a nagging thing for someone that gets older. Like the risk of his injury is the same amount as a, a number, another 35 year old pitcher. And I think because of that, it sways them as to be a little bit more comfortable about it rather than be concerned about whatever is going on. The other, the other two pitchers are Carlos Rodon and Kodai Senga that I'm going to highlight. We saw that Tyler Anderson signed. We saw Tywin Walker's free agent. Uh, Chris Bassett's a free agent, Sean Manaya. There's a, there's a ton of guys that are out there, but the, the four highlighted guys are the guys I'm going to talk about. We talked about Durham. We talked about Verlander. Carlos Rodon is a guy that's probably the most interesting and probably going to be have the most robust market out of these four guys because of age, because of he hasn't gotten paid yet, and because he's lefty. And I know that sounds weird, but it's a weird baseball thing. I don't know why it's like that, but Rodon is 29 years old, coming off a really good year for the Giants. His fastball is filthy. His slider is filthy. Like, he's everything you want out of a starter. He even pitched a ton of innings this year, if I'm not mistaken. I saw the Mets are involved, the Rangers are involved, Cubs, Red Sox, Yankees probably, Dodgers are definitely going to be involved. They're always involved. And my prediction for him is Carlos Rodon, you are a Texas Ranger because I think if they strike out with DeGrom and if they strike out with Verlander, Rodon's like that third guy, even though he's probably the best option from like a value and age standpoint. And he lefty. I know as a Ranger, they're not going to want to rely on John Gray, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, Dane Dunning. They're not, they don't want to rely on these guys. They want that legit ace. And Rodon has the potential to be that. With the White Sox, he was that a couple years ago. Him and Giolito, even though Giolito had a down year last year, um, then they moved him to he got moved to San Francisco, or he got he signed a one year with an opt out. He opted out, and you know he was nothing short of great with San Francisco. Him and Webb, and I think because of that, the lefty market being so small, Manaya not coming off a good year at all, and I think because of that, he's the best left-handed pitcher on the market, or arguably the best pitcher on the market when it comes to a value and age standpoint. Kodai Senga. This is an interesting case because nobody really knows who he is. We just know he throws 102. We've seen he's got some elbow injury concerns, but, you know, I say this all the time. Like, you have to weigh the reward as much as the risk. 
everyone talks about like the risk with signing DeGrom or the, the risk with signing Verlander. What about the reward? What about maybe he gives you the one five year, right? Like Verlander just did. What about the reward that he gets you to a world series or he wins you a world series? Why is it, why are we always worried about the injury part of it? I understand you have to weigh both sides, but weigh both sides. Don't just weigh the bad side. I, I just, I guess it's a, when there's so much money involved, that's why. But at the same time, you have to understand like this guy is super talented. Let's go for it. Like I'd rather go for it with a guy like that than worry about signing like a, like a Sean Manaya or a Taiwan Walker, someone who's got so much less of a ceiling, but is probably not like as reliable for 30 starts. I'm going to break it to you. Taiwan Walker can't be your ace if you want to win. He can't be your two if you want to win. Jacob DeGrom can be your one if you want to win. Justin Verlander, we just saw, was the one and they wanted to win. You can't, you can't buy low in baseball and expect just breakout years every year. Like we see it with Cleveland. We see it with Tampa Bay. We see it with Milwaukee. Milwaukee missed the playoffs. Cleveland lost in the, in the ALDS and Cleveland beat Tampa Bay. So none of them got to the ALCS. You know, it was in the ALCS and the NLCS, the Yankees, the, uh, the Astros who, you know, it's, it's a weird situation with the Astros, but they're there. Padres spent a lot of money. Philly spent a lot of money. The way you win in baseball is by spending money. All right, back to my point about Kodai Senga. You know, he's a little bit of a wild card, but at the same time, he's coming from uh, from overseas, and he's going to make an impact. I think he's going to the Cubs. I think, I don't know, I, they got Seiya Suzuki last year, so there's probably some sort of um, connection in that sense of like, coming from a different league. But at the same time, it's not always that perfect. And they, they, they want to be big fish hunting. They have Stroman. And that's about it. So you want to be big fish hunting and you want to get these guys. You got to go sign one. Like, I hate what people are saying, like, why are the Cubs going after these guys? Or why are the Rangers going after these guys? The only way you can get good is by getting good players. So, yeah, Kodai Senga, you are a Chicago Cub. Okay, the main thing I really wanted to get into today was the shortstop class. Um I think it's so great for baseball how these guys are going to be moving around like crazy because being the shortstop is like being the point guard, being the quarterback, being the goalie in soccer. I'm not a big soccer guy or hockey guy. so But it's like being the anchor of your team. And to see this many guys move in that position is great, in my opinion, because it shifts dominance. It shifts competitiveness. It shifts like teams' competitiveness. Like we see like with in football with the quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, in theory – Seattle to Denver. I know it didn't work, but it shifts like who's going to be good, like like turnover, like Stafford gets moved from the Lions to the Rams, all of a sudden the Rams in the Super Bowl, and now like we have like Derek Carr is going to be on the market now, and all those guys, and in theory, so, like Deshaun Watson, I know it's a whole different situation, but in theory, it's excitement because it's a new, it's new. And new always excites people, especially when it's a Russell Wilson. That's probably the best example I can use here because of like the character. And he went from Seattle, who was like starting to dwindle, go to Denver, who's been dying for a quarterback for years now. So they were going to go to the Super Bowl, like, and, and all these expectations. And that's why I think the shortstop class specifically is so exciting because it has that feel to it. It has that feel that these guys can be difference makers. First guy is Andrew Bogarts. Xander Bogarts, you are a Philadelphia Philly. I think 
that Dave Dombrowski connection matters more than people think. When you're familiar with a player, like I talked about with DeGrom and the Mets, it makes it so much easier to negotiate because you know the person like personally rather than just, hey, nice to meet you. Like You cross paths sometimes, I guess, but with a player of Bogart's caliber, like Dombrowski is going to be able to know how to handle him and know what he wants. I think it's a little interesting, though, that like I predicted him. To, I'm going to predict him to go to the Phillies, but he's not the greatest defender. He's a solid defender, and by no means he's a bad defender. They'd move Stott to second. That's why they, they didn't pick up uh, Gene Segura's option. But then your infield is Alec Bohm, Xander Bogarts, Bryson Stott, Reese Hoskins. Not the prettiest like infield when it comes to picking it, but Xander Bogarts would probably slot in as their third best hitter, I would say, behind Harper and Real Mudo. Castellanos on a good year, maybe, but he's going to be a rock in your two or three hole. We also just got news that Harper's out till mid-May, so that might play a factor. But in that, and also I'm not even worried about like his 15 homers last year because he still hit 307 with an 833 OPS and a 134 WRC plus. And you put him in a small ballpark like that, he's going to dump it over the fence every time. Like you got to deal with the big wall in Fenway and the massive right field. Now you just, you flick it over the fence. So his home runs will go up like five to 10. So he'll have like 22 to 25 homers. Average might dip a little bit just because it's hard to hit 300 nowadays. And he'll play solid defense, and he'll just be another bat that the Phillies are going to add because they, let's be honest, they need a star shortstop. Bryson Stott's a good little player. He probably profiles more as a second baseman. Getting Bogarts lets you do that. The next guy I wanted to talk about was Trey Turner. In, in my opinion, he's the best shortstop out of this class. I'd probably go Turner, Correa, Bogarts, Swanson. I think Correa gets too much hate sometimes, but I think he's better than Bogarts and Swanson. I think he's a better Fielder than Bogarts, I think he's a better uh, hitter than Swanson. I lost Correa second. But anyway, Trey Turner, you are a Chicago Cup. Everyone talked about him going out west like um, last year with the Dodgers getting traded there, and then he's not going to sign back, it doesn't look like. And he's been open that he wants to play in the East Coast, which, you know, geographical preferences are, in my opinion, a pretty big deal when it comes to baseball because it's you're out of you're like you're never home. You're always playing, and 81 times a year, you're on a side of the world that you're not comfortable on. It could be tough, and why would you choose to do that? Trey Turner last year, 21 homers, 100 RBIs, 809 OPS, 128 WRC plus. Also, uh, is lightning fast. Plays good shortstop. I say the Cubs because he's not going to the Mets. If the Phillies get Bogarts, like. There's no really other options. The Braves, in theory, but they, they've been kind of hesitant to go after that kind of guy. And I think that's going to hold Pat with a couple of teams, and we'll get to them after I go over these four shortstops. Um, so I just think with with Turner, he's a difference maker. Like I talked about Kodai Senga, you can't, you can't win unless you get good players. The Cubs don't really have anyone coming up that I know about soon. They don't have like the Gunnar Hendersons or the Grayson Rodriguez's of the world like the Orioles do, which is why I would say that they'd be more inclined to sign a big time free agent. I was thinking about like the Orioles with some big free agents, but it's a weird spot for them right now. And I don't know if they're going to go after the big time guy, but there's some mid-level guys that they might, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Correa, not Correa. Um, Turner, he, he fits anywhere. He fits like a glove. He's, 
He's going to be at the top of your lineup. He's going to get on base a ton. He's going to hit a ton. I know his playoff struggles are a little bit concerning, but the Cubs want to get back there first. The Cubs haven't been to the playoffs now, I think since 2020, when like the shortened year, and they lost to the Marlins in the uh, like that wild card series round that they now have effectively permanently. And like I said, the only way to get good is to get good players. They have him, Marcus Stroman, like they traded David Robertson, like Nick Magical's okay. They don't really have that many talented players, so you have to start somewhere. Anchoring him down for eight to ten years, just build around him at that point, make some trades, make some moves, and all of a sudden you have a playoff roster. But you have to start somewhere. And I can't stress that enough with some people that don't understand why bad teams want to sign good players. Because you can't be good if you aren't willing to pay for a good player if you don't have their prospects. The third player I'm going to talk about is Dancy Swanson. Dancy Swanson, you are a Seattle Mariner. This, in my opinion, was the easiest choice I had to make. Everyone talked about the Cardinals. Everyone talked about the Phillies. Everyone talked about the Braves, even the Dodgers. I don't see it. I don't. I, the Braves, they signed everyone but him. They even signed Michael Harris, who was in a rookie year. Austin Riley wasn't due for a contract. They signed him. Spencer Strider, like pitchers, that's unheard of to get signed like that. Why did Dancy Swanson not get signed? Why didn't Freddie Freeman not get signed? Well, he didn't get signed by the Braves. And I think that's why people correlate the Dodgers with them. But like I said about the Braves before, they've been hesitant to go after a veteran shortstop for some reason. And I don't know why the Dodgers would because they have a ton of money and they can spend however they want. Swanson to Seattle, it just, it's like Seattle needs to do that. Like they need, they need a shortstop, in my opinion. I don't get the whole J.P. Crawford craze, but I get like you want to be loyal. He's passionate, but just move him to second. There's a gaping hole in second base. You move him to second, he's going to play great defense, probably a better second baseman than shortstop, to be honest. And then you move Swanson, who is an elite shortstop. He won gold glove, I believe. And now you're up the middle. You have them two. Kyle Riley is a good defensive catcher. And you have Julio Rodriguez in center field. That's how sh- – that's – as strong as you could possibly be up the middle. You bat him second or third, wherever you want. You have him behind Julio. You have him in front of Ty France, and that's one of the best top three in the league, like automatically. The only thing that concerns me about Danzy Swanson is that his ward jumped from 3.4 to 6.4 from 2021 to 2022. What I mean by this is that that type of jump kind of happens like when you break out. Now, you break out usually like like Julio Rodriguez broke out in like the second half of the year. Trout like historically had that bad first year with the Angels, and then the rest is history. My point is, is that was this like a walk year motivation, like to get paid, or was this is this who he is now? Is he a six and a half win player, or is he more like a four and a half five win player who's not going to give you the same value? Be more of an average hitter rather than an above average hitter like he was this year at one sixteen. WRC plus 2021, he was 99. So which player am I getting is the big thing I say. But if you're the Mariners, take the gamble. You know, what do you have to lose? He's not, he at worst, he's a league average hitter and a great defender. That's better than you had at second base last year with Abraham Turo or Dylan Moore or any of those guys. Like at worst, Danzy Swanson is a great defender and an average glove at best. He's a powerful hitter with a great glove. 
So it's it's such a low risk move when it comes to the Mariner standpoint because it's such a gaping hole that they need. Finally, the last guy for shortstop is Carlos Correa. Um, we talked a lot about last offseason where he was going to go. You know, the Astros kind of just replaced them. It's crazy. I'm going to get to them in a little bit, but it's just crazy to me with that Astros team, what they're able to do. But Carlos Correa, last year, 140 WRC+, plus, 22 homers, 70 RBIs. Carlos Correa, you are a San Francisco Giant. Now you might be saying... Why? Like, that makes no sense. Well, obviously, the Giants aren't afraid to spend money because they, they're going after Aaron Judge. I personally don't think they're going to get Aaron Judge. I think that the, the Yankees are going to ultimately get him back. So they're going to sign somebody. Carlos Correa, it's a weird narrative I'm going to put together right now, but the Giants over the years, especially with Gabe Kapler, have become very analytically inclined and very anal- analytically driven. Sorry, excuse me. Carlos Correa, if you watched him on TBS and the playoffs and whatnot, has gotten the same way. He's gotten analytically inclined, analytically driven. Like he talked about WRC plus, barrel rate, exit velocities, hard hit percentages, all the things that the common fan probably doesn't know about yet because we're so used to batting average, RBIs, run scored, hits. When in theory, these ownership groups and I shouldn't say ownership groups. These baseball ops people and GMs aren't looking at that because you can't project 131 RBIs. I love Pete Alonso, but GMs aren't looking at his 130 RBIs. They're looking at his 99th percentile barrel rate because that that plays, that projects. If you hit the ball hard, luck's going to go your way eventually. My point is that Carlos Correa has gone down this, this path where he likes that stuff and he's interested in it, and the Giants like it too, so they might they might like mesh in a way in like a weird way, how they, they kind of, they kind of speak the same language. And when it comes to baseball terms, and I think that's why it's a fit. I also think that, like I talked about with judge, the giants need a star. Jock Peterson's not a star. He's just, he's a powerful left fielder, Brandon belt. Who knows with him, Joey bar, like he, Jerry's still out on him. Like you can't trust guys like Wilmer Flores, Steven Duggar, Mike Yastrzemski. Like they've proven they can't be that guy. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're really good role players. The Giants have mastered platooning. And that's also like another point is the whole analytic thing. You have Carlos Correa who slot in that shortstop. You can move Crawford to second or third, save his legs a little bit. Maybe you get more production out of him. And all of a sudden you have your three hitter. We'll see for how long. I don't know who he's going to become a guy that signed one year deals every year, but you lock him down five, six years. 230 40 million depending on what he wants that that might be a lot for five years to be honest but you you get what i'm saying you catch my drift on what type of deal he's going to get i just think that it's it's like a match made in heaven almost just like when it comes to like a personality standpoint and like where they are both at in their baseball like baseball paths like they both are just driven by analytics and i think because of that they might they might like connect in a way that some like analysts aren't seeing right now, or some people just don't see just because of the Dodgers are blocking the Giants or the Yankees are out to get Carlos Correa, even though for some reason, the Yankees, Dodgers, Braves, and Cardinals, like I have over here, don't really seem to want a shortstop. The Dodgers will probably end up putting Lux there, which is fine, but 
as it comes to like the Braves and the Cardinals and the Yankees, I don't get it. The Braves, you're trusting a young Vaughn Grissom, who I don't even know if they want him at shortstop yet, who you didn't want to play in the playoffs, but now you're trusting to be a starting shortstop every day. Like I, I don't know if that's going to work. The Yankees, if you want to roll with IKF again, I don't really know what to tell you, especially if you lose Aaron Judge. But you just can't do that again. You can't do that for 162 games. You need you need a star player. And don't tell me you're getting Jose Iglesias. He is not going to cut it. The Cardinals is the team that really doesn't make sense for me. I get you have your first and third are like your cornerstone guys. But Brennan Donovan and Tommy Edmond are utility players. And you kind of hamstring their roles by not getting a shortstop. Edmond probably profiles as a second baseman anyway. Donovan can play everywhere. Why would you not get a shortstop? You're not you're not tied with money outside of Arenado and Goldschmidt. Like who else on that team makes a lot of money? None of your pitchers do. Like Jack Flaherty hasn't gotten paid yet, and he's not going to get paid by you. It looks like. Like you just traded like not even, not even Harrison Bader like Dylan Carlson. You wouldn't trade for Juan Soto for so. I I just don't get why you wouldn't be in the market for a big time shortstop. The Cardinals have gotten this rap of being this great organization, and rightfully so. But at the same time, I mean, I get, yeah, they won a lot in the 2010s, and they deserve all the credit for that. But since that run, they've been a consistent first-round exit. I mean, they've made the CS a couple times, but they just, every year, you know they're a playoff team, but you know they have no shot. And it's confusing to me on why you wouldn't want to take that extra leap. It's not like they're overachieving by getting to the playoffs, but it was clear this year the Braves, Dodgers, Padres, and Mets were all better than them. The Phillies, I I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't tell you the Phillies were going to beat them. But it was clear in the National League they were fifth or sixth. And every year it seems to be that way. Every year they're good enough for the playoffs, but that's it. It amazes me with the Astros how they just turned over talent like without even trying. I think like maybe the Giants in the 2010s, I can call a dynasty, but the Astros are the modern day dynasty, in my opinion. That second World Series makes them a dynasty. Oh, well, they cheated in 2017. Oh, well, they, they still won the World Series. Like, hasn't the last six years proven to you that that wasn't a fluke? Like, maybe they wouldn't have won in like five games, but shouldn't that prove to you that like, if they were bad the next five years or didn't even get close, then I get your argument. But like they what they go six straight ALCSs, they've won two championships. Um, as I, like, I was saying it watching the game, I think game six it was. If the Astros win this World Series, I am considering them a dynasty. And like they are. I have some names here I'm gonna list. I have George Springer, Garrett Cole, Zach Ranke, Carlos Correa. Those four guys were all a part of this run. I don't know if they're all on the World Series team, but they're all a part of this run of Championship Series teams, World Series teams, World Series winners. George Springer won the MVP. They replaced George Springer with Kyle Tucker. They replaced Garrett Cole with Framber Valdez. They replaced Zach Greinke with Christian Javier. And they replaced Carlos Correa with Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena just won two Championship Series and World Series MVPs, the Gold Glove. Christian Javier was a part of a combined no-hitter in which he was throwing 97 up here, like no one's business. Framer Valdez closed out the World Series with filthy sliders, filthy curveballs, and just a shut-me-down sinker that I think he might be the nastiest lefty in the league, him and Max Fried. 
And George Springer got replaced by the guy who caught the final out and hit, I believe, one home run. Yeah, he had a home run in the first game of the World Series. Actually, I think he hit two. My point is, is that they just turned over talent. Like, like it was such a seamless transition. The probably toughest transition was Garrett, uh, not Garrett Cole, uh, Carlos Correa, just because of the polarizing player that Correa was in the nature that drafted one overall, was such a captain of the team. And then you have this rookie come in and you're uneasy about it because you don't know. Like, even if Jeremy Payne is good, he may never be as, as good as Carlos Correa. People forget that Zach Greinke was on this team. People forget that George Springer was on these Astros teams. They, they made it so easy to forget about these guys and no fault of their own. They're all still really good. I know Granke's older now, but like super talented players just seamlessly changed over. And I know the whole thing with James Click going on right now, but they've done this today with Jeff Lou now. I know it was, it was a different circumstance, but they just seem to just keep pushing forward no matter what stands in their way and just keep finding ways to zig when everyone zags. The last thing I'm going to talk about today is the collusion thing with the Mets and the Yankees. It's not as fun as a topic, but it's just like an emotional topic for me. Last week, a report came out that the Mets and the Yankees were getting inquired or investigated for a collusion because the Mets said they wouldn't go after Aaron Judge. Now we've heard that the Yankees are going after Jacob DeGrom. Whether it's medical records or whatever it is, I'm sorry, don't act in good faith anymore. Like, if they're going to go after DeGrom, we go after Judge. And I'm saying we, I'm a Mets fan. I understand you're trying to be nice, but this is a business. And I don't even blame the Yankees for going after DeGrom. Your job is to get the best team on the field possible. If you're the Yankees, Jacob DeGrom, you put him, Cole, Cortez, Severino, that's the best four in the league, arguably. So why should I, like, not want to go after Judge if I'm the Mets? Like, because you want to be nice? This is a business. It's not always about being nice. It's about going after the best players. It's about doing what's best for your team first. And then you worry about the consequences after. You're not doing anything illegal. You're going after guys you want. Who cares if they're in New York? Who cares if they're in Boston? Who cares? You got to win first. If the Yankees don't like it, overpay for them. You know, that's not my problem. That's not their problem. So the whole thing, like, really, with the, like, I heard the whole thing, like, staying off judge. And then the Yankees go after DeGrom. Like, no, like, why should we act nice? Or I keep saying we. Why should they act nice if they're not going to? That's that's all I got uh, for this week, guys. This is a little bit later of an episode. I have some technical difficulties. But expect this out every Wednesday at 7 a.m. I'm really excited to do this every week. If you guys have any any ideas, comment below in the description. This is going to go on YouTube, Anchor, Apple, and Spotify. Um, I'm going to post it on my TikTok at Richie Dordis, like some shorts and some like clips. If you want to tell your friends, follow that or, you know, follow my Instagram as well at Richie Dordis. There's going to be an Instagram for this podcast that is, I don't want to call it under construction, but I'm working on getting it all set up. But besides that, I will see you guys next Wednesday and hopefully we got some big free agent sign by then. Peace out.